Hallelujah. My, it just feels good to worship the Lord. It feels like we could just do that all morning. It's just wonderful. And the Lord enjoys it too. It says he inhabits the praises of his people. So you think you enjoy it. God enjoys it all the more. Amen. If you could stand to your feet, I'd like to read from Galatians chapter 5 and read verses 16 to 25. Did you get enough rest last night? Good. A few people. Brother John did. (laughs) That's good. I might be counting on you to just pull me right through this. It's been a wonderful camp so far, just just wonderful, and I believe the Lord has had His way. And uh, if to some of you, it's some of it seemed a little strange. I think as we be, can get into the service this morning, you'll you'll recognize very quickly why the Lord's worked the way that He has, and even just how sovereign it's been. I believe the Lord is doing some very very supernatural things in our midst. <clears throat> Galatians chapter five, verse sixteen. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. Now there's a way that you could read some of these scriptures, and you take from it that, well... Um, we often think, well, if you're going to be fulfilling the works of the flesh, then you don't have the Holy Ghost. But Paul's actually instructing people who have the Holy Ghost that the secret is to be to walk in the spirit and be led of the spirit. Therefore, you can do the things that you desire to do and manifest these very fruits of the spirit that he's speaking of here. And uh, so that's a it's a key and it's instructive to those who have the Holy Ghost. Because now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. That's emotions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So you can have the Spirit living in you. Therefore, walk in the Spirit. My, just so many wonderful things in this. If we could just for a moment bow our heads. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, as we read the Word, there's so much inspiration that just begins to jump out at us. And Already maybe feeling pulled in different directions. And Lord, we just surrender to you this, uh, this devotion this morning, this special time together. Lord, it's uh, not going to be maybe in the way of what would be a traditional service, but Father, you are, you can be bound by tradition and, and unbelief can hinder you. And so Father, therefore we realize then that you are not, uh, obligated to tradition, that if we do something non-traditional this morning, if we do it in the way that's not the customary church service, that you don't, you don't have to work within the framework of man's ideas and, and formalities and just where the word has preeminence and where the word is lifted up and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. So today, Father, as you have in a very uh, loving way spoken to your children this weekend, we ask that you continue to do so in a way that would continue to grab their attention and pull upon their hearts. 
So we commit the reading of the word to you. The things that we'll speak as we completely yield ourselves to you. Design that you'd have the preeminence. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we ask this. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to uh, take uh, my thought this morning, continue on the subject of who are you? And then as a subject or subtitle, going through the emotions. We've often maybe could say going through the motions, but this time in this service and perhaps maybe even this evening, uh, speak a little bit about going through the emotions. As we've been asking, who are you? And we've talked a little bit um, how that you're born into chaos. Chaos has been born into you. I just want to maybe very, very short this morning, maybe. And uh, and I want to just start by showing you something. And in asking, who are you? I I wonder if. Any of you would say that you experience these feelings and we could just kind of walk through them. These are different feelings or emotions and we can kind of start at the top and on each uh, each row is words that would be associated together. Things that would be um, uh, uh, kind of grouped together and just ask yourself if you experience these. And I don't mean just maybe one time. Maybe you could even consider is this something that characterizes your existence and maybe your state of mind and your condition on a regular basis and you experience thing, fear and anxiety and panic and then also uh, or depression and it speaks of grief or anguish or sadness and there's things that could be associated with that if you experience depression you can have a sense of hopelessness you might even have thoughts of ending your life and why is it why do i even live and i don't want to live anymore and you might even experience suicidal thoughts and you say, well, Brother Aaron, we're a, this is a message camp. You don't need to talk about that. You know, suicide is the second leading cause of death for teenagers. And just being born into a message home doesn't make you immune from the human mind. And so people can have thoughts of these things and it can be very, in, uh, uh, very a bondage. You can experience frustration or impatience, jealousy, resentment in your heart, a, a lack of forgiveness, uh, insincerity or hypocrisy, anger, hostility. Pride, pretense, impulsiveness, where you don't have any control. Maybe you suffer from a temper or you have experienced loneliness or helplessness. Just I'm not asking you to raise hands again, but I just want you to think about that. Whether or not any of you ever feel that in your life and in your experience, and maybe you could say, man, I feel that a lot. There might be a row on here. You say, man, if that doesn't describe how I feel every day, I wake up anxious. I go through my life angry. I find myself not being able to control myself. I'm lonely all the time. Um, and there might just be a, a, a one of these things that just really, really jumps out at you as being something that characterizes who you are. Have you thought about it for a little bit? And maybe you've thought about it in such a degree where you could say, yeah, I, uh, I feel that way. And so what I want you to consider then is this is what I want to tell you. Well, you just need the Holy Ghost. So... Brother Ryan, if you could come, we're going to have all day just, we're going to have the musicians sing and we're done here, right? You know, if you experience those things, that's what you need. You just need the Holy Ghost, right? How many have ever heard that before? They tell you that if you have any of these problems here, well, you just need the Holy Ghost. And it's kind of, and I'm, how many, just, you can raise your hand now. How many have ever been told that? You do something, you act out, you feel a certain way. They say, well, you just need the Holy Ghost. And... If that was the case, then we could just end right now because most of you'd probably say, if you're experiencing these things, you'd probably say, duh, I know that. I know I need the Holy Ghost. 
And the problem with that attitude, and I'd say this is a pretty common response often if people say, well, I struggle with this, I go through that, and these things happen. I think it's a common response. And often it may be technically true. But it misses the mark because it completely disregards what the problem may be. And there's two two problems maybe you'd just like to get you to begin to ponder is first, it's dismissive of how that even a Holy Spirit-filled person can experience these emotions. A person with the Holy Ghost isn't necessarily immune from feeling that way in seasons where they might experience some frustration, at times where they may feel lonely. And so it's dismissive of the fact that a Holy Spirit-filled person can struggle with real emotional things. And so you could tell a Holy Spirit-filled person who's struggling with something, well, you just need the Holy Ghost, and that just makes it worse because they're like, well, pretty sure I've got that. And now you've just compounded the battle because the devil's fighting them in emotional realm. And now you begin to get them to reason with something God's done for them. And then perhaps that may be more relevant for you all this morning is that it disregards how emotions or even an individual state of mind can actually keep them from receiving the Holy Ghost. So if we went back to this this slide and we said, well, uh, do you experience any of this? Are you having any problems with depression? Do you have a, a grudge? Are you holding a grudge? Are you haven't forgiven something a family member did to you. Is there do you have a is there an arrogance? Do you have no self-control and say, well, no, I don't have any self-control or I have a temper. I feel this way. And the answer is, well, you just need the Holy Ghost. It completely disregards the fact that these things can keep you from getting the Holy Ghost. I said, well, yeah, I know I need the Holy Ghost, but these very things that I'm experiencing, I'm going through, it dismisses the fact that a person's state of mind, it can be the very thing that will keep them from being born again. Because the new birth is the seal of the Holy Ghost. When that Holy Ghost comes to indwell you and and quicken that seed to life, that is the new birth. And sometimes we're not even, and I I would even say that it's it's not you as young people, you might even think think that same thing yourself, but it disregards how emotions can stand in the way of receiving the Holy Ghost. And as we've gone through these services so far, and as I would like you just to be real attentive and focus on what the Holy Spirit would be speaking to you now, we can need something from God. Many of you probably came to camp with a thought, I'm praying about something, I need something. Could it be a physical need? It could be a question that needs to be answered about a future direction, something you just weighed very heavy in your heart. And it could be that the answer seems obvious. And to other people, the answer may seem obvious. To you, it may seem clear. But for some reason, you find that no matter how clear the answer seems and how and how much you think that this is the answer, for some reason, you just can't quite seem to receive what you have need of. And young people experience this quite often, and even adults and those who are filled with the Holy Ghost find that they need something from God. They begin to see what that need is, um, how God wants to answer that. And it seems to be very clear, but yet they're not able to receive it. And as we mentioned a moment ago, if if there's a need and you you can't quite get it, it, it begins to compound what the need is. It makes it very difficult. And you could know that you're sealed with the Holy Ghost, know that you have a problem, know that you have the Holy Ghost. And when it's suggested to you that you need the Holy Ghost or you need faith or you just need to believe, you say, well, I do believe and and I do have the Holy Ghost. Then the question is, well, what then what do you do? And I want to make this point for a few moments to you that we could know the cure And we can know what the solution is, but just because we know what the solution is, it doesn't mean that the cause is irrelevant. 
I mean, it may be so that what some of you young people need and you're experiencing certain things and you're battling, you're struggling. Well, I don't know about this and I don't know about that. And you have a bad attitude and you're uh, and you're critical or whatever it might be. And it may be true. You do. You just need the Holy Ghost. But what's causing those feelings and what causing those emotions, what's causing the struggle? It doesn't mean it's irrelevant. Because you may know and feel, believe and be con- and have a part of you, even as we talked about last night, and it may feel more pronounced than ever. I do desire God. I do believe that I want to serve the Lord. And you may believe that the answer is Christ. And you may believe that Christ is the remedy. And we believe that Christ is the remedy. Christ is enough. There's no other name whereby men can be saved than that of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other salvation than, than that through Jesus Christ. And we could even say as, as a minister of the gospel, I could say we have the answer. We know that the word is the answer. And you could be very convinced of that. The Bible says my grace is sufficient for thee. And we can say his grace is enough. We believe that. It'll suffice. His grace will suffice in every single situation. We can quote the scripture. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And believe that. Because we know the answer. We know it's through Christ. We know his grace is enough. We know through Christ we can do all things. And then Jesus in Mark chapter 9 verse 23 says, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. So it's as easy as believing. But sometimes believing isn't easy. It is. It is as easy as believing. But we find in ourselves, even calling ourselves message believers and having a faith in the word and believing the message is right. And maybe we struggle with certain elements of it. Or maybe we even think, well, I'm not even sure that it's right. Then you realize it's not always easy to believe. And when Jesus actually said, if thou can't believe all things are possible, the man in verse 24 answers and he cries out with tears, Lord, I believe. But help thou my unbelief. And and Jesus didn't rebuke him. Well, then you don't believe. But in honesty, he says, Lord, I believe. But then there's a help me in my unbelief. And I can say we believe or we have a desire. I believe it was expressed in your hearts in a very personal way between you and the Lord last night that you've given me something, Lord. I do have that desire. You're using that desire to fight with. So we believe, but maybe it's now, Lord, help me in the part that struggles. It might be, Lord, help me in the part that's hurting. Because there's so many things that young people go through. There's so much chaos around us, the chaos in the world, chaos in our minds, turmoil in our families. Situations that we've come up against, there could be there, there can be hurts, there could be things that we've experienced. And listen, that uh, you are those of you who are twelve to twenty-two, you have come, you are coming to an awareness, and you are coming to a, a greater sensitivity to social things, and you are in tune to things happening in the church and happening in families at an age where a lot of things were going on. And there can be scars and complexes and bitterness and confusion that's in your mind and in your heart. And God's not just going to dismiss that and say, well, just get the Holy Ghost. It'll all work itself out. We can be very certain that the answer is the Holy Ghost. And I believe that the word is the answer. I've said this before that uh, I'm a one tool preacher. If I show up at a a job site, a spiritual job site, I, I bring one tool. It's the word. But that tool can do anything. A man shows up on a job site and he's a carpenter. He have a trailer full of tools and he's going to use different tools for different things because it's going to, he needs this for that. He needs this for that and different kind of saws and different ways to measure and different things to do things. And he can have so many tools in his trade in that trailer and it'll do many, many different jobs. And you know what? The word is the one tool, but that tool can do so many different things. So I'm a word only preacher. 
Because I believe it's come to that. Brother Branham said it's come towards the word and the word only. But the word is so varied and so different in the way that it can be applied. And so we can be very certain of the answer, but at a, but at a loss as to why it doesn't solve our problem. And that, and I'm just using, try to use maybe language to express this. And so you may use a word. You may say, well, brother Aaron, you could use a better word or you could phrase it a little bit differently. And I understand that. And that's because many times what we need can be very different from the problem. So you can have a problem, but what you need, it may not seem obvious in regards to the problem. So I have a problem. I have a problem. Or there's a need. There's a need. Well, the need can be different from the problem. I have a need. Brother Bradham, in one place, he says um, that you, you have a nervous condition. And he says smoking cigarettes is causing you to be nervous. Well, I probably would have thought the other way. He's nervous, so he's smoking. But it was actually the smoking that was causing him to be nervous. And so sometimes we can have a need, but the problem be different and not obvious on its face. Just maybe in by way of economics, you could have a, a, a person who's selling, wanting to sell something and someone who wants to buy it. You're selling, I'm buying. Well, why can't we get this deal to close? The problem may be the price. And so there's there, there's other factors. It's not just, well, I've got it. I want to give it to you and you want it. So what's the problem? Well, sometimes there's other things that are involved that may not be obvious that keep the deal from closing. Say, well, I want the Holy Ghost. God wants to give it to me. And something's something's not happening, transpiring. It's because there's something in there that the word needs to deal with. And I think it was Brother Derek um, Thursday in the office there was talking about uh, um, uh, about water needs in California and Arizona and how that solution could be solved. Just a very quick, uh, quick conversation, a few comments. And uh, you could say that California needs water. Michigan has it. So what's the problem? Right? Well, the problem would be that the need is water. Somebody needs it. Somebody's got it. But the problem would be delivery. How do we get it there? So just because you have a need and you have an answer to the need, sometimes the problem isn't always obvious on its face. You say, I'm sick. I'm sick and I need healing. Well, there could be the question of why are you sick? You say, maybe another example to get you to think just how the Holy Spirit's wanting to impress this upon your heart. I'm in debt. And so you say, well, I need money. I need a better job. Well, yeah, you're in debt. So you, you, you need, your thought is, well, then I need more money. I, I, I need a better job. But a question might be, well, why are you in debt? Because you could get more money and get a better job, but with the same bad habits with money, you'll remain in debt, even with more money. So it's not always obvious, I need money, so give me money. No, the question may be, why are you in debt or why do you need money? Brother Branham says it uh, many different ways, and I just want to read a few of them so you can see that this is what the word teaches us. He says, we know the cure is the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that, right? Young people, we can believe, we believe that Jesus Christ is the answer. That we know the cure is the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, but we've got to know the cause. And so, so this is what we're being taught, that we know Jesus is the answer. Regardless of the cause, regardless of the problem, the answer doesn't change. Right. So I could say, well, this this is your problem. Well, then you need Jesus Christ. Oh, that's your problem. Then you need something else. No, I'm not going to suggest any other alternative or any other answer to you other than the word. The word is the answer. Jesus Christ is the solution to your what you need or solution to your problem. But we have to know what the problem is. He says we've got to know the cause. He says that's the way for praying for the sick. This is another statement. That's the way in praying for the sick until you find the cause. 
I know the cure, but I got to find the cause. Now, I know that kind of works counter to what we think many times. It says, oh, you're sick. Well, let me pray for you. And Brother Bram is saying that there's a different layer many times because someone may be sick, but then we need to know the cause of the sickness. He says, before you can find a cure, you've got to find the cause. Is that right? If a person's sick, there's a reason they're sick. What caused it? It speaks to even the elements of cause and effect. Many times we see the effect of something, but we don't know the cause. And it's the cause that needs to be dealt with. You got to get to the root of the problem. You got to find out what's causing it. Not just the effect, because you can always deal with the effect and always trying to treat the effect and treat the symptoms and treat this and treat that and deal with this and deal with that. But you never really get to the root of the problem to deal with the problem. And listen, a lot of times what happens to us as young people, when the word begins to deal with our hearts, we immediately become aware of the symptoms or the effects of unbelief or the effects of something. And we resolve the effects, but we never allow the word to get down deep enough to deal with the problem. And God doesn't want to, he'll help you with the effects. He'll do it. But what you want is a permanent solution to deal with the underlying problem. So the cause is important. And why? It's because the cause needs to be dealt with. The cause needs to be addressed. What the world does is it uses psychology to deal with or mask certain things. It uses medicine or psychology to temporarily deal or to deal in a temporary way with problems. That you can have an underlying issue and you would take a medication that brings it into balance. But you stop taking the medication and the imbalance continues to exist. Or there's certain things that you could do to psychologically deal with something, but it never changes the underlying problem. And so the world can only deal with symptoms. The world can only deal with the effects in many ways. But God can get down to the very root of the problem and he can deal with it. And that's what we want God to do, to address and deal with the, the, the underlying problem. Because what the issue is at heart determines the approach. And that might seem to be uh, uh, something perhaps you haven't really even thought about. But I want to use some scriptures with you and try to do this very quickly. I, I want to uh, I want to say this. You all are a wonderful, wonderful group of people to preach to. And uh, you all pull so well and you respond so well. And you have. And the other night I said, wake somebody up. Well, I didn't see anybody sleeping. And so all the young, all the parents are going, was anybody sleeping? Who was sleeping? There wasn't a one of you. Every single one of you was like. And so I think it's wonderful. It was marvelous. I was just saying that to wake up the counselors. (laughs) But I want to, I want to share this with you. I want you to think about this and think spiritually about these things. And the 37 miracles of Jesus Christ that are recorded in the gospels. They show how the same word, which is Christ, approaches needs in different ways. And sometimes the same need. And as I went through them and studied them, and I put together like a little um, chart that I kind of started reading through and put things together and used some different resources to help do it. In most cases, in the majority of the cases, Jesus would lay hands upon the sick. Uh, or he would speak the word or they would be healed and it would be cast out. And so he might say, lay hands and they're healed. Or it might just say, and he cast out a demon or he spoke and something happened. Or just said he was there healed. He spoke the word. He cast out a demon. And it kind of generalizes what takes place in those miracles. And we can see he speaks the word. He lays hands on them or they're just simply healed or demons cast out. 
But in other instances, there's different, there's another approach. In some cases, he actually says, without doing anything, thy faith has made thee whole. In some cases, he actually prompts the individual who has the need to do something. And, and ask that individual to act. And so you can start looking at all these different miracles. And he speaks the word. He speaks the word. He speaks the word. He speaks the word. And then he comes in an instance and he just says, thy faith has made thee whole. And then to somebody else, he says, go do this. And so it, 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 what we see then is it, this is Christ in whom there is no variance. There is no shadow of turning. So if it's something that's different, it's still the way that he works and the way that he moves. You don't say, well, he spoke the word, he spoke the word, he spoke the word. And so when he told this person at thy faith, we don't regard that. That's just different. That's just an outlier. Throw it out. No, it's what Christ does. In other instances, in some instances, it's actually an individual touching him, the touching of a garment. He lays hands on some, another can touch the garment. And at the touching of the garment, a, a healing take place. And this is, this is very interesting to look at some of these scriptures. In a couple instances, Jesus heals one who is deaf and dumb. And in Mark chapter 9, when he comes in contact with the deaf and dumb child, or a man with a deaf and dumb son, he says, he actually asks the question, how long has he been sick? Has he been sick since he was a child? Now, you re- you, we might just read right past that. But here's Christ coming in contact with the kid that needs healing. And he says, well, how long has he been sick? Well, some of us with the religious mind would be like, dude, what does that matter? He's sick. You're Christ. Heal him. But Jesus asked. And I believe he asked because it mattered. And you might say, well, well, didn't he know? Well, he knew what the father showed him. And the father said, how long has he been sick? And Jesus said, well, has he been sick? Has he had this since a child? And it, it's because it mattered. And so in that instance, he questions it and he finds out and then he rebukes the spirit. And, 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 and this, maybe just as you think about this, well, it happened since he was a child. And since he'd been this way since a child, Jesus actually rebukes the demon and he gets delivered and he's made well. But then in Mark chapter 7, just a couple chapters before, he comes in contact with a deaf and dumb individual, and it happens completely differently. He takes the individual who's deaf and dumb, he leaves the multitude. Now, just picture this. He puts fingers in his ears, spits in his mouth, and then speaks the word. Let me demonstrate with Brother John. Brother John... (laughs) We're a team, Brother John. And that's completely different than the way that he heals a deaf and dumb child two chapters later. And perhaps if it was us, we saw in chapter 7, he took him away from the multitude. He And this seems really weird. I'll do it with you because your ears stand out a little bit more. Puts fingers in the guy's ear. It spits in his mouth. And then speaks the word. But that was the word doing something different and getting the same results. And perhaps the next time he comes in Mark chapter 9, maybe the disciples are sitting by and they're thinking, well, Jesus, um, why don't you just stick your fingers in his ear and spit in his mouth? It worked last time. But it's still the word doing things different ways. For the blind, there's different instances where the blind are made well. With blind Bartimaeus, he says, thy faith has made thee whole. But in John chapter 9, he spits and makes it with clay, and he, clay of spittle. He takes that and he gets a little bit of clay and he puts it on a person's eyes. And then he tells the person, go wash. 
And when they washed, they could see. I mean, doesn't this seem as you, maybe you just ever thought about it this way. Just how unique it was happening and taking place. And that's why some people say, Brother Barron told this person to take that shirt. The next time they have that, take that shirt off and throw it in the fire. And they're made well. But, well, that, that shouldn't stumble a believer of the Bible. Because Jesus was doing very unique and different things the same way. Spitting in the ground, making clay, rubbing it on a person's eyes and telling them to go wash. How come he didn't just say, thy faith had made thee whole? Because things happen differently because every person's different. It's still faith. It's still the word. But things are taking place differently. Even with respect to the lepers. In Luke chapter 17, a leper came and it says they stood, he stood afar off. So here's the leopard, Lord, Lord, heal me. And so Jesus is standing afar off and Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. And the disciples are probably saying, that's right. Don't get it. Don't get near us. Don't come near. But Jesus tells a leper without even getting near him, go show yourself to the priest. Now, that's the word telling him to do something. So the person obeys the word, goes and shows himself to the priest. And the scripture says he's cleansed. And it worked for that leper. But then in Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 4, here comes another leper. And this leper comes, and then as I begin to ponder this, I thought it was so beautiful. This leper comes, and Jesus, whereas in one instance, he stays afar off. And what's the one thing that a leper would say or announce? Unclean, don't touch. What's the one thing you didn't want to do to a leper? You don't want to touch him. Why? Because it's contagious and you could get sick and it's it's a very terrible, terrible disease. And they had leper colonies. They remove everybody, separate them. And so here comes a leper and just think of all the things that they would struggle with. The stigma of the leprosy. The fact that they've been isolated. If it was an individual who had children, a mother, a father, now there's no human contact. Now they're a leper and they come and they throw themselves before the Lord. And Jesus reaches out and he's not afraid to touch the leper. Not that your hair reminds me of it or anything, but. But he touches him. And what that might have meant to a leper, that there was no fear, that Jesus had no fear. And what that might have done to that leper in that instance to believe, this is one who has compassion. This is one that can heal me, removes the stigma of my leprosy. And he touches him and he speaks the word and he's cleansed. He tells one, go talk to the priest. He touches the other. In Mark chapter 8, this is a different uh, instance of a blind man. Mark chapter 8, verses 22 to 26. In this instance where a man is blind, the scripture says he actually, I believe he says he spits in his eyes in Mark chapter 8. And uh, I have just so many things here before me. I just want to be sure that I'm, I'm taking from this. It says he spit on his eyes and put his hands on him. And then he asked him. What he sees. So he actually takes a blind man and he spits in his eyes. Brother John, let me. And he, and he, and he says, what do you see? And then he says, I see ministries walking. So God now, Christ, the word, has healed a man's eyes by spitting in them. And placing his hands upon them. And then when he looks up and he says, I see ministries walking. It says he put his hands upon his eyes. And made him to look up. So he touches him again. And when you read that, you think, well, man, he spits on his eyes and he can he can see. But then he has to touch him again. 
Now, maybe to some people reading it, oh, man, it didn't work the first time. He didn't follow the instructions. Something was wrong. But actually what just took place is that in the first instance, when he spit on his eyes, he healed the physical optics. Whatever was wrong with the physical part in the retina and the optics of the eye and the nerves and the, the, the sending of the signals to the brain, he actually fixed the physical part. And in the second part, he actually healed the mind. Because they've proven this, this is just scientifically proven, that if you're blind and you can have your eyesight restored, because now by the miracle of technology and surgery and science, they can actually restore the sight of people who've been blind their whole lives through surgery. And they found that, oh, great, we corrected it. They're not blind anymore, and they're worse off. And there's instances of people who had corrective, something happened to correctively. In one case, I think a man was blind and he actually had an accident and it'll caused him to see. And it so traumatized him now that he could see committed suicide. And what they found out is a person who's been blind doesn't have the mental database to translate all the information their eyes are sending them. And so when this blind man could finally see, he sees trees, but he knows trees can't walk. So he says, I see men in this trees walking. I see movement that seems human-like, but I can't tell you a man from a tree, except that one's moving. I read a book one time about a man who had his eyesight restored. Uh, at three years old, he lost his eyesight. He had his eyesight restored through surgery, and he had experienced all sorts of problems. He could see things, but he couldn't tell how far away it was. The moon looked like it was just right there. He didn't know one color from the next. He didn't know a female face from a male face. How do we know all that? It's the mental part. He was in a Costco and he's like, who parked this forklift in the middle of the aisle? And he got closer and it was a large woman. (laughs) To me, what it shows in the scripture is that the condition of your mind matters. The heart condition, your emotions, they're not immaterial and they can't just be dismissed. Jesus healed the physical part, but he didn't stop at the physical part. He actually healed the emotional part. My, that's something God can do. He could take a mind that has no visual database and give it to him. Where immediately a man can see clearly and he's like, oh, I know what that is. I know what that is. I know what he knows depth perception. That's a miracle. And it shows that God can get into the heart and get into the mind and actually deal with those issues. Because the devil would want to tell you that with the word starts dealing with that, that's just psychology. Well, if a psychologist is doing it, that's psychology. But when it's Christ doing it, that's the word. And so if the question is that we've been asking is, who are you? Your emotions are part of who you are. Your desires, your ambitions. It could even be say that a man, said that a man is the sum of his desires, what he wants to achieve and what he wants to accomplish. So they're all part of who you are. Your senses of your spirit, imagination, conscience, memory and affection, uh, reason and affection. That's all part of your makeup, who you are. Your thoughts and emotions make up the person. And there's different ways perhaps that we could define emotions, but it's a conscious experience that's characterized. It's a mental activity, a conscious experience that would either have some sense of pleasure or maybe displeasure. It might just be the most simple way to describe it. It's a conscious mental experience. It might be a, a, a pleasing feeling or it could be a displeasing feeling. And when you begin to talk about emotions, I think a lot of times in the context of a church service and things that relate to the word, we're often told, it's not, did you feel it? And, and, and that was, it's not, did you feel it? It's not that you got excited. We don't go by feelings. We don't go by emotions. And that's true. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that we're completely dismissive of emotions. 
a person's conscious experience and these, these mental activities of pleasure and displeasure. We can't just disregard them altogether because we are creatures of passions. We are, we have feelings and we have emotions and we have sentiments and we have affections and you can't just disregard affections. You can't disregard memories. We can't disregard the way people feel. Brother Branham says life is what gives you your emotions. And then by your life, everyone knows what you are. He says your emotions make up what you are is your life. So here's Brother Branham looking at emotions and emotional states. And he's looking at it in such a way to say your emotions are your life. What your emotions are is what you are. It's what who you are. And so our emotions are connected with life. Our emotions speak to the essence of the person. I'll just share this. Maybe I'll share this as a testimony very, very quickly. Um, and just in terms of a child being characterized or how a person is, it characterizes an individual. Um, four years ago when we spoke at the winter camp, it was perfectly sunny outside, 75 degrees, and it was green grass everywhere, and we had spring camp here. And back home, we had snow, and my children were making snowmen. And I wasn't able to bring my wife or any of my children then because our son Jack was just born. And so he was just uh, less than maybe a month old or right around a month old. And when his dear while Sister Elizabeth was expecting, she had been praying that she wanted a quiet and peaceful baby. She didn't want him like the first three. She wanted calm and quiet. So she's even looking up names that meant peace. So she wanted Oliver. And she was thinking about names, quiet and calm. That's what she wanted. And um, Elizabeth was around eight months um, pregnant. And Brother Biscoll had come to preach um, our annual meetings. And Brother Tom was there as well. I believe you might have ministered that time as well. I can't recall. Not that I forget when you preach, but it's just been uh, four and a half years ago or so. And, uh, and Brother Bisco, we're out to dinner, and Brother Bisco has no idea that we're having a son. He doesn't know what Elizabeth's been praying. But uh, as we're eating dinner, all of a sudden, Brother, Brother Bisco looks up from eating, and he says, Sister Elizabeth, you're going to have a son. Wasn't telling, asking, he was telling her. And he says, he's going to be calm and peaceful, quiet, nothing like the first two, the two boys. He says, he's going to be nature just like you. And uh, Elizabeth said, I claim it. And I was like, whose son is he going to be? But it was the word that was a that was a gift. And I'm sure many of you probably experienced it with Brother Bisco before that he has this, this gift where God used him and he speaks this. We claim it. We believed it. And that is how Jack has been characterized. Calm and peaceful. Nothing like the first two. More natured like Elizabeth. And so that's the person's emotions. That's like they're, they can be a quiet person. They can be more reserved. And so when Brother Brown was speaking about your emotions prove what you are, he says in one place and your emotions prove and your actions prove what you are. And he says in what you believe. So there's a, 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 when we talk about emotions, there's emotions that can characterize the individual, but then the emotions can also be a temporary feeling or an outburst that aren't necessarily connected with the person's general condition. Because yes, Jack is calm and quiet and peaceful, but he has his moments. And so there's a way someone's characterized, but then there's also a way that someone can act out on a particular instance. And this is where often we hear emotions talked about. He says, you say you got the Holy Ghost, dance in the spirit, speak in tongues. You relied too much on that instead of that still small voice. He says, you can have mental emotions, but your life proves what you are. Now, think about that. He just said your life proves what you are, but we just read where he says your emotions prove what you are. What's he referring to? Two different kinds of emotions. One that's a, that's, that is characterizes the person, the other as an experience a person has.
He says, see, you can't go by emotions. Your life that you live testifies what you are. No matter what kind of sensation, you cannot base Christianity on any sensation. So in the instances where Brother Branham says you can have mental emotions, you can't go by emotions. He's talking about a, a, he's not talking about the base, um, the condition of a person, but he's talking about you cannot base your experience, your Christianity, and whether or not God did something for you. These are the kind of emotions you don't base your condition on are these temporary outbursts, these fleeting emotions that are outward because he's referring to these outward demonstrations. Brother Bram is actually separating between two different kinds of emotions. An emotional experience, one that's outward, and another one that's inward. You catch that? There can be an outburst. There can be expression, and it's a, a crying out. It could be something that's emotional. He says, you can't go by a sensation that you felt something. He says, but then there's also some things that are inward. And it's these conditions that we can have... Inward, if the inward conditions perhaps is maybe how I want to express this, the inward conditions can be signifying a need that you have that God wants to meet. You have an inward condition. You have a, something you're characterized by and God's not going to completely dismiss it. God wants to meet the need that that condition is signifying. And I want you to be aware of just how sovereign I believe the Lord is moving there could have been some of you perhaps last night that when the service came to an end, you might have thought, well, when after Brother Michael dismissed, you might have thought, oh, my, we missed something and something didn't happen. You thought that because you were expecting a certain response and didn't see it. And maybe even some of you young people might have found yourself lying in bed last night somewhat discouraged. And that was because the devil was trying to tell you, well, nobody shouted. Nobody danced. Nobody went crazy last night, so nothing happened. And you might have actually thought, why didn't that happen? Because we've had meetings before where the Spirit of God moved in a service like that, and people were slain in the Spirit, and people ran to the altars, and great things happened. And because the outward part didn't happen, you completely dismissed the beautiful inward work that was taking place. I can testify as the minister last night that there was such a sweet, clean presence in the young people's hearts last night. And you perhaps were thinking about that. My, I feel so good. This is deep. This is good. I feel great. I feel wonderful. And then the devil's like, well, but what about all the outward stuff? And that's what began to cause the conflict. What you were feeling in your heart, there was no conflict. But it was this external things that the devil starts getting you to compare and look at these things. And I want you to look at just how sovereign God was moving inwardly last night. It was a beautiful presence. It was supernatural. And God moves in ways where there is supernatural demonstrations of his power and that there can be prayer lines and gifts of discernment that operate within the body. And there can be hands laid upon the sick and and healings take place right in front of us. And there can be people who are rejoicing and slain in the spirit and the, the Holy Ghost can move through an audience and there can be genuine shoutings and exclamations. And that's a genuine move of the Holy Ghost. But when we get it in our minds that that's the only time the Holy Ghost is moving, then we've completely dismissed the fact that God moves in many ways. And the still waters run deep and that there's there's a time when the Holy Ghost is very timid and there are very deep things are taking place. And it may not be very physical. And I believe for some of you, God's had to move in this way to get your attention because you have the habit of expecting certain things. 
And if we're not careful, it's one of these things where that once it once it lifts off, then everybody kind of participates in it and they enjoy the temporary part and never get to the permanent part. And the permanent parts on the inside, the temporary parts on the outside. I can say for myself that uh, um, 23 years ago, God birthed the joy in my heart that's never left. And then I've had my temporary moments where I don't seem too happy. And I'll take the permanent part over the temporary part. And I want to read a few statements here. Woo-hoo. Do we have a lot of time? Okay. All right. We got all day. I like to use that quote on Wednesday nights at home that the bride, you can preach hour after hour. So I preach an hour and I say, we're now in the after hour. Brother Branham says this in Hebrews chapter 6, part 3. Now, don't think wrong that I do not believe in these emotions, certainly. And what he's looking at is the external part that we could see. But what we're on now is trying to drill to this people of this day is not emotions. The devil has took those things and went wild with the people, letting them base their eternal destination upon an emotion. So he describes these emotions, shouting, speaking with tongues, going to church every day, acting like a Christian. That won't have one bearing at that day, except a man is born again. And your life reflects what you are on the inside, not your emotions. So we can say your life on the inside reflects what you are. It's going to reflect. So there's something inward that's going to reflect outward. And Brother Brown, in one place, says your emotions, those emotions prove what you are. But then there's these external things that don't prove anything. He says you could have blood in your hands. You could speak with tongues. You could heal the sick. You could move mountains with your faith. And you are nothing yet. And he starts talking about how if you have love and he comes right back to you, you've got to be born again. You need to be birthed by the word. So when the word comes forth and can be very specific of things that you need to do or things that are, need to be corrected. Sometimes what we get in our mind is that when the word identifies something we're doing wrong, our response is to stop doing it. And Brother Branham's saying stopping doing to stop doing that doesn't fix the problem. What you were doing was symptomatic of the of a lack of a birth. So what you need is a birth. But some of us know so much that when the Holy Spirit begins to do with our hearts, we just promise to do what we know is right instead of just surrendering out and yielding to the desire of the Lord. He says in the message paradox, you, you thinking you have and having it is two different things. He says you might be able to try and say you have and you might be able to show some evidence of some emotion. But unless your life is vindicating what you're professing to have, you still haven't got it. No matter how many emotions, how much you jump, run, sensations, speaking in tongues or shouting or whatever you might lay it upon, which is all right, he says. I believe in all that too. I believe in all that too. These brothers believe in all that too. We enjoy all that too. We love it. It's wonderful. But unless your life copes with your testimony, then you haven't got it. He says, I know this is very, this, and this comes to what our text was in Galatians chapter five. Cause the fruit of the spirit vindicates what you are. Just like the fruit of any tree tells what it is. Jesus said, by your fruits you shall know them. So he's getting now and he says that just because you can have an emotional outburst and you could speak with tongues and you could have a great church service and you could have a great moving of the Lord in a dynamic like this. He says that's not going to be enough. Now what he's not implying is that every day you need to be speaking in tongues and every day you need to be shouting and every day you need to have blood running out of your hands. And so you just wake up jumping and running and speaking in tongues and everything's just a, a, like a, a, um, a great moving of the Holy Spirit all day long. You couldn't hold a job doing that. 
But he says, the fruit of the Spirit vindicates what you are. And in the message, Lamb and Dove, he says, the Holy Spirit falls into a meeting, and sometimes the believer and the unbeliever worship by the same Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit proves what you are. Now, now this is very profound the way he says this. Not the reaction of the Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit proves what you are. Not a reaction or not just something that can move temporarily. Not a reaction even to the Spirit. He says not to speak with tongues, not to shout. That goes with it too. That all goes with it. And we see that when the Holy Spirit is moving... And it's moving externally and it's coming into a service and people are being responsive. They're reacting to the Holy Spirit. And that's wonderful. We believe in that. The Holy Spirit provokes that kind of response. But what we don't want to have is just to have to set up every so many months situations where we experience that. And then we enjoy that. And then we just kind of kind of try to live off that experience. And we just barely make it in August to family camp. And we find ourselves going, oh, good. Now I can get another fill up. That's not what we're going for. So he says, but unless the fruit of the spirit and notice how he keeps using this phrase, the fruit of the spirit bears record with God's word. He says, you just got an outward demonstration. He says, and we today are relying so much on outward, outward emotions and demonstrations. So there can be an outward emotional thing. And I want to begin to clue this in or there can be an inward emotional thing. Not just the outward emotions and demonstrations. When it takes a genuine, pure, born-again, Holy Ghost-led life to prove what you are. Now, that is right, my dear brother and sister. Unless there is fruit. And catch this. The fruit of the Spirit is not outward demonstrations. It's an inward work of grace. And then he says, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, faith, meekness, gentleness, patience. He goes, there you are. So can you catch the difference now in the word of God, how that you can't go by emotions that are outward? It's not the outward expression. It's not the shouting. And I look at that and I have these, I have these things in my notes. I already had the Lord dealing with my heart to go down this channel. I had these very things in my notes, just waiting on the Lord, not speaking things, not wanting to, uh, 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 even give the devil an opportunity to try to work against God's program. Brother Bram talked about sometimes I don't say things because then the devil will try to get in the way. Just held these things in my heart. And then God comes and does something very supernatural. The power of God was present last night. And then it's just in a very sweet way. Everyone just accepts the word. And we and I, and I had left maybe earlier, so I don't know what happened. But we just kind of filter out. And maybe there wasn't the customary ex- ex- reaction a lot of people would expect in an evening service at a youth camp. And here it is, God just sovereignly trying to show, just because there wasn't any emotions, don't, doesn't mean that something very deep wasn't happening. Amen. But then notice this, the fruits of the Spirit that are inward will manifest outward. But if I could put it this way, the fruits of the Spirit are inward emotions. So emotions don't matter if they're external the motion, the emotions, and it, this is if you could just think about this way, because we think fruits of the spirit, fruits of the spirit. But notice what the fruits of the spirit are. It's actually inward emotions. Oh, I told you I was going to be short this morning, and I, I was going to end there, but then notice this: that these are all emotions. That the fruits of the spirit in Galatians five. 
love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. These are emotional conditions. These are inward emotions. And for each inward emotion, which is the fruit of the Spirit, there's also a contrasting negative emotion to it. There's another side, maybe we could say a negative emotional counterpart. Or maybe there can be, in any one of these, there can be an insincere impersonation. Because Brother Bam teaches us, you can impersonate these things. So there can be an insincere impersonation of the fruits of the Spirit. Does not Brother Bram teach us that even these things can be impersonated? So they can be demonstrated outwardly, but not be possessed inwardly. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. But then you could have hatred as opposed to love and sadness as opposed to joy. What is sadness? It's an emotional state. You can experience anxiety as opposed to peace, impatience as opposed to long-suffering, jealousy instead of gentleness. You know what gentleness is? The ability to rejoice when somebody else is blessed. And there's a lot of people who don't have gentle spirits because as soon as God starts using another ministry, well, why isn't he using mine? As soon as God starts blessing somebody, why didn't I get that job? Why wasn't I asked to do it? Because that's a lack of gentleness. Goodness, it can be as opposed to hypocrisy or pretense. Faith opposes fear and doubt. You could have arrogance, which is the opposite of meekness, an impulsiveness or a lack of self-control. These are all opposites to emotional states. And then notice this with respect to the works of the flesh. As we read in Galatians chapter 5, in all these works of the flesh, there's adultery and fornication and, and murders and drunkenness and revelings and these different things. But notice these bolded um, letters in green or brown if you have a, if you're colorblind. But it's the works of the flesh are also tied to emotions. I say that because the other day I was wearing all brown. I had brown pants on, a brown coat on, and I re- came up to a good friend of mine. He goes, how you doing, green muffin? I was like... Why'd you call me green muffin? I mean, usually you just call me muffin. No. Why you call me green muffin? And, uh, and I go, and he goes, well, cause you're wearing all green. I go, you're colorblind, aren't you? And he's like, yes. And then I felt bad. I said, it's okay, cupcake. A lot of people are colorblind. But notice how that these works of the flesh are connected with the emotions. Hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, envy. Those are all emotional states. So it, it, you can't just look at emotions and say, ah, forget emotions. Just believe. Forget emotions. Just believe. I do believe it's as easy as believing. And there's a way that we could take the word and we can actually attack the concept of easy believism. And qualify it through the word and attack how people have perverted the word. And they've said just because they believe they've got it. But then we have to be careful that we don't attack the truth that it is as easy as believing. But what have we thought about already this morning? Sometimes believing isn't easy. And when you can see that the word of God actually in expressing what the fruits of the spirit are. And what the works of the flesh are. And how they're actually tied and connected to emotions. What I want to signal to you today. And perhaps what we could say that I've been doing through this first hour. In looking at these things. And all the things that we've looked at. Is that God knows that your emotions matter. And that God is never going to be dismissive of your emotions. That if you have a situation in your heart and you say, and even the word begins to say, do you have a desire for God? Yes, I have a desire for God, but I have so much bitterness and hatred towards this person who's caused great harm in my life. God's not just going to say, oh, forget about that. You just need the Holy Ghost. 
God is actually going to go to great lengths and even have a winter camp and deal with the person's heart and maybe take four or five services just to deal with your hatred. And you could say, Brother Aaron, would he do that for me? Yes, I believe God would do it for one. Because at the end of the day, one is all God needs for there to be a rapture. You might as well be that one. And maybe you're that one that the rest of us came to camp for. We've all been doing our part in obedience to the word. We've been here. We've been participating. We've been doing everything. Because God wants you to know that these deep feelings that you have of bitterness and resentment. And these feelings that you're experiencing that have hindered you for so long and caused so much confusion. And even the lack of forgiveness. And I was going to go to great lengths to cover this this morning. And I just wanted to leave it out of my notes. Perhaps I'm being regretful now for doing it. So I'll just speak from my heart. In that there are many times it's a lack of forgiveness that keeps us from receiving the Holy Ghost. And the reason why it keeps us from receiving it is because our feelings are justified because we've been hurt. We have been wrong. We've been wronged by people we love, people we had confidence in. Situations came on us that weren't. We're victim of circumstances ourselves, and we have it. Very, we find it very, very hard to forgive. And it's that lack of forgiveness in our hearts that comes to bear on the situation that keeps us from getting the deliverance that we need. And even last night, you might have said, "Yes, I have a desire for God, but I'm holding so much resentment and bitterness in my heart towards somebody or a situation." And many times the reason why it's so hard to forgive is we think that forgiveness means that we have to forget. And that only applies to God. To forgive is human, to forget is divine. I know it's to err is human, to forgive is divine, but rather to forgive is human, to, to forget is divine. God does not ask you to forget when you forgive. He just asks you to forgive. And sometimes we're actually plagued with the thought that to forgive is is uh, accepting that what was done was right. That forgiveness in some ways is saying, you know what, it's okay what you did. No, that's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is letting go of your right for justice or your right to see that person suffer. And you forgive them and you let go of it and say, Lord, I'm committing judgment to you. I'm committing it all to you. Lord, I forgive them. Lord, I'm not going to hold it anymore because the person can hurt you sometimes years ago, years ago. And sometimes many of us are experiencing a lack of forgiveness for hurts that are caused to us by people that are either long gone from our lives and sometimes deceased. And your lack of forgiveness allows that person to still have power over you and keeps you from coming under the power of the Holy Spirit. And God just says, forgive, forgive, forgive. It doesn't mean forget. It doesn't justify what they did to you. It's still wrong. They'll still be held accountable. But for your part, it's Lord, forgive them. And I forgive them. And I let it go. I may not understand and I can't figure out how it's all going to work. But Lord, I forgive. And that's what God needs to deal with. And that's what God's wanting to bring you to so that you can go further in his word. God knows your emotions, good or bad. Whether they're good emotions, whether they can be characterized as being emotions that are, uh, um, that are wonderful, that are, that are great, and we ex- experience things that are uplifting and very powerful, and then we can also have very negative emotions, and God knows they matter, so the Word speaks to those needs in order to help them. Because emotions deeply impact our lives. Deeply. Your emotional state at the time that you experience something can actually color that experience for the rest of your life. 
You could go somewhere and do something and the place that you went is supposed to be a happy place, supposed to be a fun place or supposed to be something enjoyable. But because of your emotional state at the time, your memory of that characterizes the whole experience. There could be a place you could even go. Maybe it could be a, 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 um, you could go to dinner sometime when your heart was broken. You're very heavy. And now when you think about going back to that place, your emotional state at the time that you experienced it characterized even the location characterize, characterizes the memory of it because our emotional states pervade everything. Emotions are so pervasive and so pronounced in our lives that Brother Branham often had to divide between emotion and faith because the two are often confused. I'll be personal with you for a moment. I've found in my lives where I've wondered, am I numb or is this faith? Am I just numb to things? Am I unaffected? Uh, And you get hurt and things happen and you get so hurt and things you're disappointed. And then you find yourself being unaffected. And and I ask, Lord, is this faith? Do I have a strong resolve? Am I believing all things are working together for my good and your glory? Or have I just become numb to it? It's kind of like, are you in a groove or a rut? They both kind of seem like the same thing, but they're different. And sometimes we can't figure it out. Am I in a groove or am I in a rut? And if I could say this many times, our emotions are very, very difficult to bear. And I would want you to be honest with yourselves this morning. This is, this is, I think there's maybe 70 different emotions that are expressed on here. And I put in green, brown, Different ones that would be negative, anger, anxiety, depression, distrust, fear, hostility, melancholy, lust, resentment, sadness, suffering, uh, a worry. I always get asked about schadenfreude, like what's that? Any Germans here can help me out with this? It's it's when you rejoice in somebody else's suffering, like (laughs) they had it coming. (laughs) Lulls, right? You know, hey, they asked for that. And, uh, and so there's these experiences of regret, lust, distrust, fear. And some of them I've put in, um, in yellow there. I think that's how it's being rendered. But there's, it can be anticipation and courage and love and hope and trust. These are all uh, positive emotions. But we can be honest with ourselves and look at this. Do we find that we're experiencing these green muffin conditions? These things are very real to us. We're going through these things and and we struggle with melancholy. We struggle with um, jealousy and we have panic and we have sadness. We're suffering. We have worry and we have all these different emotions that we're going through. And I want you to be honest with yourselves right now. Just think about it. Is it true in the same way? And I'm not asking you to raise your hands, but in the same way, I asked you to probe your heart last night and you found that there was a desire and we said, there's a desire and that's what God gave you and you can use it to fight. Then we're being honest right now and saying, you know what? At the same time, I've got a lot of green things in my life. I have a lot of these emotions and things I'm experiencing. And now what the devil wants to do is make you think the green is greater than the desire. But the desire is greater. Not even if you could count so many of these and just have the one desire, the least desire is greater than all these other things. And God wants the desire now to counteract and to work against these other ones. But what ends up happening is the devil wants to stigmatize us because of the negative emotions. And he wants to stigmatize young people because of the emotional struggles. And if I could just speak honestly, perhaps for a moment here about what would be maybe the worst of all of them. But we could say depression, anxiety and fear. And even thoughts of, uh, of hopelessness and despair. Wherein that if there's a depression, I mean, the devil wants to say you're depressed Psh, so much for the Holy Ghost. 
When the fruits of the Spirit is joy, first joy, and it mentions all these things that the Holy Ghost would be. And yet someone feels debilitated. They feel very broken in their spirit. They have a melancholy. They have a depression. And the devil wants you to think that that's just a condition of weak-minded worldly people. And wants to stigmatize us if we experience certain emotions. And he uses the stigma of it to cause us to come into condemnation and feel somewhat hopeless. Even when God is trying to say, hey, look, I can take care of you. Now, listen, I know there's a particular attitude that says it's okay to not be okay. But this they just want to stop at that. It's okay to not be okay. But God doesn't want you to stay not okay. And so God not, God's not merely just going to come to you and go, it's okay that you're not okay. He's going to take this and say, I know you're not okay. And get, and, and show you why you're not okay. And never leave you until the not okay is okay. And what's great is he doesn't leave it at okay. He makes it better. And it just keeps getting gooder and gooder. Because God doesn't want to just leave you in not okay. He wants to make it okay. And then make okay better and better until better becomes best. Because that's the nature of God. But the stigma of emotions holds a lot of people back. Brother Branham said in chapter 2 of the Church Age book where he's talking about the Patmos vision. He says of all the human emotions that Christ Jesus, that he manifested the most when he appeared as the Son of Man was this one. He wept often. So of all the human emotions he manifested, so he manifested a wide range of human emotions. Can we accept that? Jesus Christ manifested and exhibited a wide range of human emotions, but the one that he manifested the most was he wept often. And he says, yet behind that weeping and that sorrow, there was still God. God on the inside and weeping and sorrow being expressed because of emotions that he's experiencing inwardly. Here's Jesus Christ, the word who is characterized as being weeping and sorrowful. In the very prophecies of Jesus Christ in Isaiah chapter 53, verse three, three, excuse me. He says, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. It does not say that Jesus was a man that sorrowed and one time grieved. But he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus, if he was sitting in the audience today, would look up at that slide and go, I identify with some of the green on there. That's real to me. I know what that's like. I felt that. I was a man of sorrow. I was characterized as being sorrowful. My emotional state was one that was characterized as being acquainted with grief. He was not just one who grieved one time so he would know how you would feel. He was one that knew what it was like to be grieving. He was one that knew what it was like to be sorrowful. He knew what it was like to feel alone. He knew what it was like to feel abandoned and hopeless. Listen, Jesus Christ on the cross cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he felt the depths of loneliness and helplessness so that you could be helped in your loneliness and your helplessness. So that there would never be a time when you felt lonely that he couldn't say, I know just exactly how to deal with that. And I believe just in reading that one verse, it removes stigma where people say, oh, well, you're sorrowful, you're grieving, you just need the Holy Ghost. Yet behind that can be God. God will even use our emotions to lead us. As a Holy Spirit filled person, you can feel regret and that that's an emotion God's using to cause you to make something right. As a person who's not filled with the Holy Ghost, you can experience certain emotions and it's a red flag that something's wrong. God uses our emotions. 
to ultimately bring us the word, the word coming to the word. The scripture says in Matthew 26 that he was sorrowful. Verses 37 to 38 and 37, it says he was sorrowful and very heavy. Jesus Christ, the son of God, sorrowful and very heavy. And then it says in verse 38, my soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Do you realize what he just said? I'm so heavy, I want to die. Who said that? Who said it? It's in red letter in my Bible. Jesus Christ said, my soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4, Elijah, after he did this great, tremendous uh, uh, moving of the Lord, and God moves upon him, he speaks these things, and he says, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. Here's the prophet. God's just moved on him. God uses him. He speaks the word of the Lord. He does it with such boldness. He moves in a very powerful way. And now after having experienced such a wonderful uh, 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 move of the Lord, it says he travels, he goes and he sits down under a juniper tree. And he, he reveled in all the tweets, hashtagging Elijah. And he was getting so much cred on social media and his his karma was just increasing exponentially. And people were giving him gold and it was just wonderful. But it says, and he requested for himself that he might die. Oh, but no, that, that, that's the condition of weak-minded people. That, that's the condition of somebody that just needs the Holy Ghost. Somebody go tell Elijah, he just needs the Holy Ghost. Somebody go tell Jesus, he just needs deity. And this is what he says, it is enough now. It's enough. I've had enough. Don't raise your hands, but is there a young person here who's ever said, you know, it's enough. You might have even said it this week. I don't know if I can go through this again. I don't know if I can have another up and down. He says, it's enough. And he says, oh, Lord, take away my life for I'm not better than my father's. Just take it. This is the prophet saying that this is just right after God had used him. And he goes, and he goes a day's journey, sits under under a juniper tree, and he requests that he would die. And it's enough now. It's enough. Just take my life. I'm not better. I'm not better than anyone else. I, I don't want to go through this anymore. And you could put it this way. When Elijah fled to the juniper tree, depressed and suicidal, that's exactly what he was. God just came and he said, you just need the Holy Ghost, Elijah. Come on, suck it up. It's not what he did. God came and ministers to him. The scripture says in verse five, and as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was a cake baked on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he, he did eat and drink and he laid him down again. That was one time. And maybe we'd say, all right, okay, one time. But he still was weak. And the angel Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, arise and eat. And then he acknowledges because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and he did eat and drink. And he went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the Mount of God. 
God came and ministered to him in his need. He didn't just, he didn't just leave Elijah in that condition and say, well, just think about your past experience. Was that not a tie post? Was that not an anchor? Just go back to that. But in his brokenness, in what he was experiencing, in his emotional condition at the time, God did not rebuke the prophet who perhaps should have known better or could have had some reservoir of experience to say, well, this is going to be all right. He came to him and he touched him. He sent an angel and he touched him and he gave him something to eat and drink. He's taking care of his emotional needs, his physical needs. God's covering every base and he has this angel minister to him. And then he doesn't tell that angel, you know what? You give him enough, leave him to himself now. No, as long as he was still needy, God came again the second time and touched him. And this is what Brother Branham says about it when he writes about it. And what hearest thou, Elijah? He said, I imagine there was 10,000 angels watching him sleep. He goes, there's one assurance the believer has. Though the world turned him down, yet God loves him. Listen, that's your assurance. If the world turns you down, God loves you. And if you stand to lose everything when you go back home next week because of the stands you take this weekend, God still loves you. He goes, the world may call you a holy roller. They may call you a fanatic. But if you're true to God, there's one sure thing. God loves you. And his angels are encamped about those who fear him. Because I imagine on every limb all around, all around through the place was swarms of angels. And God came down and he said, my poor little tired servant. He's so nervous and tore up. He don't know what to do. The Bible says when a man is sick, his spirit will bear him up in his illness, his infirmity. And we've all experienced this, that when our body is physically sick, our ambition, our spirit can pick us up and cause us to soldier through the day and do the things that we need to do. And that's why men who've had back pain and uh, strained muscles or something wrong and physically they can't do it but they've got to get up they've got to make a living they've got to persevere and their spirit will bear them through the infirmity and it's actually their emotions pick up the physical part and drive them through the day and they get the job done but then the bible says but a broken spirit who can bear it a man no matter how strong he is physically does not have the ability to pick up his broken spirit his spirit can pick up his broken physical part, but his physical part cannot pick up the broken spiritual part. And when the scripture says who can bear it, it's a rhetorical question which suggests only one answer. He can. And so he says, you know, he don't know what to do. He goes, I want to pick out the angel standing here that's got the softest hands. Thousands of angels, tens of thousands of angels standing around. Let me help Elijah. Let me help him. They all come. They're all encamped around. And there's an angel. Perhaps there was a there was a pep angel. They could just get up there and say, come on, Elijah, you can do it. God's made you for a purpose. Look at how he used you there. Look at how he's done this. God's called you. You know he's with you. And the pep angel sitting there going, oh, come on, let me at him. I can encourage him. And there was another angel that could do this and another angel could do that. But God's going through saying, let me see your hand. Let me see your hands. By the time you win. <laughs> and he finds the angel with the softest hands. Because he's like, you know what? All of you could do a job. All of you have a place. But now I want the angel with the softest hands. And he says, don't you scare him. Walk over and stroke his brow right easy. And I want the best cook among you. And go up there and get all the vitamins you can find. And put it in his cornmeal. 
The world's turned them down, but I'm going to treat them right. Don't you see what God's been doing for you this weekend? Don't you see what he's been doing to you, young people? He's wanting to come and he sent the Holy Spirit with the soft hands. And he's demonstrating his tenderness to you. And he says, bring forth the best that we got. Cook them a corn cake and set them down with some water. And this soft-handed angel went over and stroked the little servant of God on the brow. He says, remember, if you've done your best, God's still got those angels in order. He loves you just the same as he loved Elijah. He loves you just the same as he loves Elijah. And in 2 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 19, you could go and read it. He then goes with, after this ministering of the Lord to his emotional needs and the meal for his body and the tender hand of this angel in ministering to his spirit. He goes and he hides in a cave and notice immediately what happens. There's wind and the effects of the wind. And there's an earthquake and the effects of the earthquake. And then there's a fire and the effects of the fire. But God was not in those things. But yet it was the effects of him passing by. There was a passing by of the Lord and there was wind. There was an earthquake. There was a fire. Those were the effects of him passing by. Brother Branham describes sometimes the wind, the earthquake and the fire in a meeting and its emotions. And everyone goes by the emotions. But what Elijah knew and recognized was the still small voice. And that's where God was. And last night we could have very well had fire earthquake and wind but god wouldn't have been in the earthquake wind and fire he was in the still small voice that you know you heard and that's where god was and that's how god wanted to meet you because some of you came to this camp under a juniper tree and god wanted to send the angel with the softest hands and he's done it and he stroked your brow he says i know you struggle I know you've even said things this week that are hurtful and mean. You've even expressed doubt. And some of you might say, well, you know, that was a prophet. That was a prophet, Brother Bram said, that was true to God. That's why God loves him. That's it right there in the very quote. And so you might find yourself now already still trying to reason with this very thing. God's trying to tell you he loves you. And so I want to share another quote with you and we'll probably we'll try to end on this one. In the message testimony, it's in 1950, August 14th, 1950. And I want to tie this in to this evening service. And we may not have perhaps be able to make the connection. We might try to revisit it. But I'll, if you could hold some of these thoughts in your mind and your heart throughout the day. and keep the, keep the afternoon sanctified. This is a supernatural gathering. God is doing tremendous things in our midst. And so purpose in your heart that we keep the continuity of the spirit. We keep things right. Because I recognize that many times... The real work takes place outside these four walls. Sometimes it's in your dorm. Sometimes it's in the walk back. It doesn't have to happen here. These men of God right here, I, I appreciate a ministry that's not always trying to get people to signal something in front of them. So that they can walk away with the, the fact, well, this many did this and this many did that. And oh, they did this. Oh, they did that. But they're just willing to leave it to the Lord to even do the real work somewhere else. It doesn't matter who gets the credit. We went back to the dorm and it was Brother Matt who began to talk about us. And we shared some things. And all of a sudden, Brother Matt just said one thing. And that's what did it for me. It just sealed it. And you know what? There's not one of us that go back and go, man, I've preached. 
five services and I've been all this time and Brother Matt Ardell says something in a cabin and they get it. Brother Michael's not going to be like, man, I mean, I set it up and I said these things and I did this and I did that. Brother John's not going to say we did this and we did that. We're all going to be like, yes, yes, it's what it's all about. We just want results. We want word results. We want the word to do it. And so keep the real atmosphere of the Holy Ghost and and try to do things that are pleasing to the Lord this afternoon. And so as I read this, God's going to be doing something very, very profound and supernatural. And what I want you to do, if God speaks to your heart, just accept it. And he says, look this way, sir. And he's, he has a man standing in a prayer line. He goes, if you would, just a moment. He says, look this way. So now he's wanting him to focus on something. He says, now you realize, my dear brother, that when you confess your faith in Christ to believe with all your heart, do you? So he's wanting him to confess his faith, believe with all his heart. He says, you do with all your heart. So he's trying to bring this person to a confession. He's, he's probing. He's probing his heart, his confession. He says, you have no doubt but what the spirit that is here now, that's even on you now. So now he's feeling, he says, there's no doubt, but that's the spirit of God. So as Brother Bram often said that when people came into that near, they felt something different. You feel something different now is what he would say. He says, it could not be any psychological effect. It's just the spirit of God. You've been feeling that this weekend, this week, rather. He says, you believe with all your heart? Well, you live close, do you? In this city here, I would say. I want you just to look. So now, again, he's saying, look. He's wanting to focus on something. Yes, sir, brother. You have trouble with arthritis is what bothers you. Isn't that right? I see the way you get around. I just want you to look this way again. Third or fourth time. Look, come on, look this way. Don't look somewhere else. Don't start gazing off. Look this way. Now, I, I, we don't have the benefit of perhaps video evidence to know whether or not he was kind of looking off. But he might have been looking right at him. And Brother Man still trying to get him to focus his attention on something. It wasn't just his eyes so much as it was look at something. Don't look at the symptoms. Don't let your mind drift. And maybe Brother Bram could see his mind kept drifting to something else. He, so he keeps saying, look this way, look this way. And so now he's recognized the physical problem. You have arthritis. And he keeps saying, no, look this way. And be just as serious as you can be. And now perhaps what the Holy Spirit has done is he's caught where his spirit keeps looking. And he says, life hasn't been a flower bed of ease for you, has it, brother? He says, you've had lots of sorrows and lots of troubles. You're in trouble right now, brother. Isn't that right? Now he starts dealing with this emotional part. Now listen, young people. Listen to what he says. At one time, you wouldn't have come in this prayer line. Now, I want you to catch this because we say, well, God loved Elijah. Look what God did for Elijah. He sent the angel with the softest hands. Now, here's a man with arthritis who's had a lot of troubles and a lot of sorrows. And because we might be very quick to say, well, God will do that for somebody who's been good and who's done the right things and been sincere and done all these things, that God's going to honor them for having done the right thing. And Elijah obeyed the Lord. Therefore, God ministered to him. But now we're going to begin to read about somebody who's the opposite of Elijah. But God wants to loves him just the same. And he doesn't just call out the arthritis and he just doesn't stop at the sorrows and a lot of troubles. He says, you wouldn't even have come in this prayer line. You was an unbeliever once. Very much critical of religion. Isn't that right? You done a great thing along that time too. something that hurt you. I believe you rebuked God or cursed God or something or done something wrong. Didn't you do that? How would you think, brother, by the spirit of God? Is that a track concerning it? All right now. Concerning that it harmed you. Something happened in this guy's life. He lashes out against religion. He's critical. He curses God. He posts on his Instagram about it. 
He prints a tract about it. He says, it's harmed you. Now that you had it on the tracks, then look this away. His spirit keeps going back to the past. His spirit keeps going back to something he did wrong. His spirit keeps visiting these things he did. He says, believe with your heart. Just want to make sure I'm not missing this here. He says, rebuke God, curse God. Then look this way. Believe with all your heart. You dearly paid for that, brother. You have lots of troubles now. Nervous. You have a lot of home troubles too. Domestic troubles with your home. Is that right? Will you believe me as God's servant? Is it all right for me to speak what the Lord says? You've had other troubles too, don't you? Sexual troubles. Is that right? Sexual troubles. Okay. All right. Now let's just get this guy's testimony straight. He's got arthritis. Okay, God can heal arthritis. He's got a lot of sorrows, a lot of troubles. Okay, God can do that. He's cursed God. All right. So it's about this time we know Brother Branham's going to say, uh, you can go now. You got a lot of home troubles, domestic troubles. You got sexual troubles. You listen at what I mean. Nobody but God alone knows better than you. You believe with all your heart now, brother? So now what would we do? And he says, let me have your hand. And he says, let's bow our heads. Why don't we just do that for a moment? Because I, I want you to listen to the words that are being said. And when I say, look this way, don't look at me. It's not the physical eye. It's your eyes of faith. Listen to how God deals with this man with sexual troubles, cursing God in his past, printing tracts against the gospel, domestic problems, home problems. He says, our heavenly father, he takes him by the hand and he says, our heavenly father, there's nothing but what you know all about it. And you know, God knows your life because he's been reading it to you this weekend, this week. Because I'm so thankful that you're here tonight. This poor old brother having run and slipped away to get to the service, but loves you in his heart. That's what you expressed last night. That desire is a love for God. He said, God, make a way for him. Granted, Lord, he's in trouble. And you said that you would be near those who are in need. God bless my brother now. Is I bless him in thy name. And may all these troubles clear up like a cloud leaving from before the sun. And may he be healed tonight of his arthritis and all these other troubles, Lord, and be made new and whole again. And as you have your heads bowed with this, I want to I'm going to say this over you young people today. Our Heavenly Father, there's nothing that you don't know all about it. And I'm so thankful that you're here this morning and you've been here this week. These poor young people slipped away to come to this camp, but they've got a desire in your heart for you. God, make a way for her. God, make a way for him. Granted, Lord, she's in trouble. Granted, Lord, he's in trouble. You said you'd be near those who are in need. God bless my sister now. God bless my brother now. 
as I bless them in thy name. And may all her troubles clear up like a cloud leaving from before the sun. May all his troubles clear up like a cloud leaving from before the sun. And all these other troubles, whether it be physical, if they get healing that they need, and all these other troubles, Lord, and may they be made new and whole again. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, I ask it. Amen. You cannot raise your heads. Here's a man who we would have said blasphemed. Here's a man with a very difficult past. In many ways, young people, not unlike yours at even a young age. There's teenagers here this weekend that their lives could match this in some ways. Now, you may not be able to relate to Elijah, but can you relate to this guy? And when he came into the presence of the Lord, Brother Branham didn't just say, you just need the Holy Ghost. You did what? You need the Holy Ghost. You got sexual troubles. You just need the Holy Ghost. You've done this. You just need the Holy Ghost. He didn't say that even if that was true. But he had the right approach to deal with the man's heart. And in the same way that the Holy Spirit discerned what was in this man's life as he stood before him. The word is still a discerner and has been discerning you since Thursday night. And he says, may he be healed, not just of the arthritis, healed of all these troubles. What is he speaking to? The word actually healing the emotions. Brother Ram said it many times. People can come through a prayer line and receive physical healing and get sick again. And that's temporary. And yet it's still the word. It's still God. But then God many times, and I'll pick up on this tonight, many times what God has to do first is deal with your heart. So that he can give you what he wants to give you. And the word can actually come and heal our emotions, touch our state of mind. So as we go forward, still have two more services. Whatever you do, don't use your emotions as an excuse. Your imagination, your conscience, your memory, reason, and affection. The devil will try to use all those things, all these things that we could put on the board to, to whether we want to look at it from this standpoint, whether we want to look at it from another standpoint uh, of all these things that would be appear to be emotional problems. Don't use them as an excuse. Don't say, because I did this and because I did that, look this way. Because what your spirits start to do is look at all those other things and the Lord says, look this way. And you're looking, and this guy could have been looking right at Brother Branham. Here he is, standing in front, just looking right at Brother Branham. And Brother Branham says, look this way. And, and it's because in his spirit, his mind keeps drifting to these other things. No, look this way. What is it? It's the word trying to bring him into the right mood. The word trying to get him to focus on the right thing. The Holy Spirit did not say, you think you have sexual troubles, but don't sign for that box of rattlesnakes. You think you have home trouble, but just confess you don't. No, it's not psychology. Could you imagine someone without an arm and someone saying, do you believe God can give you an arm? Then don't sign for that box of rattlesnakes. It's kind of like a little late. already had the surgery. What's the box then? The box is the hopelessness. Some of you got real needs and you just confess, just confess it's not true. You know too much. You know it's true. And so the box of rattlesnakes was a story as a way to get you to consider. Don't take what the devil's trying to give you. 
It doesn't mean that what you have is the rattlesnake. The box of rattlesnakes is the fact that what the word has, he's trying to give you this thought or this idea that because you have it, you can't be well. The rattlesnakes aren't what you have. The rattlesnakes is what he's trying to offer you right now. And you can say, I don't want it. And to be very real that, hey, these things are real. But don't use them as an excuse. Because the devil is trying to offer you an excuse. That's what you don't want to, that's what you want to refuse. He's trying to say because you have a past, because you've had these emotions, because you experienced these things, then it's indicative of the fact that God doesn't love you. Well, that's a lie. God does love you. And at the same time, because we still have a, two more services, and tonight is I want to continue in this very subject. You say, well, how much more can you do? A lot more. A lot more. Don't use emotions as just as an escape. We don't want just to let off some steam. That's not what we want you to do. We don't want just an outburst. We don't want you just to experience a moment of relief. And in that moment of relief, just, oh. No, it's in that moment now, in that moment that God can actually do something for you. We've mistaken the moment as the happening, but the moment is when it can happen. So don't, don't, don't just take the moment as the happening, but now in that moment, brother, said, keep looking this way, keep looking this way, keep looking this way. As the word comes and as it begins to deal with your heart, let the word deal with the problem. Let him do it. Just because you feel experience a temporary relief, just because you begin to feel something lifted, it's in that moment, at that moment, the word can bring you to a permanent solution. Let's stand. Let's bow our heads. If you would like me to pray for you this morning, why don't you just lift your hand and you present your need before the Lord and I'll pray for you. He said, I love you. I love you, I love you, written in red. That's what he's trying to tell you, young people. He said, I love you, I love you, I love you, written in red. Don't ever doubt his love for you. He loves you, young people. He said, I love you. I love you. That's what Calvary said. He said, I love you. I love you. I love you, written in red. Make it personal. He said, I love you.
tell you enough young people how much he loves you he said I love you I love you and I bore all your sorrows and all your pain that's what Calvary said all your hurts all your disappointments he said I love you oh how I know they'll struggle. I know they'll be born into chaos. I know chaos will be born into them. They'll say and do things that seem so contrary to what they've been taught. That seem so contrary to what the truth is. They'll live lives even as teenagers that are filled with so much confusion and hate and animosity and say things and do things and have so many troubles that they'll actually find themselves in the presence of the Lord feeling as if it's hopeless. So he said, I want to do it. I want to die for them and cover all of it. Past, present, future. And he gave himself and shed his blood because he loves you. He said, I love you. I love you. That's what Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, there's not one thing that you don't know. There's one thing we're beginning to know better. You love us. Oh, how you love us. You love us so much. Lord, we accept the love that you have for us. Except that you sent the angel with the softest hands these few services. We just accept that you're dealing with our hearts. We may not be able to make sense of it, Lord, but we just accept it. And we're turning our eyes away from everything else. The confusion, the chaos, the bitterness, the hurts, the pain. We're just looking to you and saying, Lord, just have your way. And we yield to you, Lord. If it's not in this service or the next, Lord, whenever it is, Lord, you're equipping us. Lord, to the next time you'll do with our hearts, we'll just have the right response to it. And I pray that this work which you've begun in us this week, Lord, you would continue to do it. And I commit these young people to you, Lord, that the need that was expressed behind the lifting of the hand, that you would do what you did to this man. 
in this quote and the prophet and what you've done time and time again, you met us in our need. We commit them to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And oh, how he loves you and me. each other God wants to do great things for us young people I believe he's in our midst and he's manifesting himself I'm just excited what the day holds for us what's in store for us in fellowship together at lunch what's in store for us in the afternoon what's in store for us in the remainder of these services God bless you he loves you very very much